0: Thank you, Cass, for singing so beautifully with just a beautiful song, meaningful words. I hope that you're noticing the words to the songs as well that we pick. I'm going to invite the children to be dismissed to Junior Church as I put my little board up here. And I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, to Philippians chapter 2 as they are dismissed. And I'm going to come back to that here in a moment. Wait. Oh, you're too old for Junior Church now. I see. Okay. I thought, I saw the kids start to leave and saw them come back, and we were changing the age because it's a new year. Kids are in school. Everybody's back in school this week, even some of the late schools, and so I have a nice group in the second row. That's great. So right here, I have some things, and as you look at things, you might see that I have a more decorative board. What is this? Chess board. Checkers. Checkers and chess, right? Checkers and a chess board. And I went ahead and I brought a few pieces up as well. Now, most of you may not be able to see them, and they're more decorative. Uh, but does any, can anybody tell what piece this is? No. Rook. Thank you. Mercedes knows, because we played with this board before with these pieces. And which one is this? The knight. Knight, right? So chess is a game of strategy, Right. It's a game of strategy. You have to think multiple moves ahead. You have to think multiple moves ahead. Now, I've played chess and I've played checkers, and the way I think of it, checkers... might think one move ahead now maybe it's a game of strategy too I never got into that as much but I think most would agree it's not the same game of strategy like chess is you know you have chess tournaments in fact last year it was scandalous because somebody in a major chess championship somebody got caught cheating playing chess, which you just, you don't do that. Now, you shouldn't do that in any professional sport, but it's kind of unheard of. But chess, you think of strategy. For example, many times I make a move and I examine it and I look around. So I'm moving the knight, the knight right here and I look around and, want, and try to make sure, is, is the piece okay? But then you don't see maybe a knight on the other side. Because a knight, if for those of you who don't play chess, the knight can jump it's the only piece that can jump other pieces. It can actually jump them, and it takes a while. I taught Mercedes to play chess right before I was called as your pastor. I think she was something like five years old. And then my dad came up, and, and he was easy on her every time. And I thought, no, 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 I'm going to take advantage of beating her while I can. And now, since then, since then, she's improved, and she maybe wouldn't even beat me now. Now, why do I bring up an illustration with chess? Because there are things in life where we need strategy too. We need to think two or three moves ahead. It might be leadership in in a business. It might be things with family. It might be child rearing and parenting, right? You might think you hope that your kids have certain values as they grow up. They know certain things, but you can't bombard them with everything at once. You need to think multiple moves ahead. And we're going to see in this passage in Philippians chapter two with Epaphroditus, that Paul is also as a leader in the church, as the one who planted the church in Philippi, he has, he has a, A chess player before it was cool, probably before it was invented, I'm not sure, but he's thinking multiple moves ahead. He's thinking with strategy. Now, we're going to come back to that here in just a moment, but as we look at this passage in Philippians 2, we're going to start at verse 25 here in a minute, and we're going to go verses 25 through 30, and as we look at this passage, we see the great friendship. We see the friendship. Last week, we talked about the great friendship with Timothy. And today we talk about the friendship with Epaphroditus. And we think of that hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. Everything to God in prayer. Chuck Swindoll shares the words of that old hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus. Remind us that Jesus is not just our God, Savior, and King but also our close personal friend, right? Jesus is not just our God, Savior, and King, though that is awesome. Think about how amazing it is to have a personal relationship with God Almighty. Jesus is our Savior. He took our place on the cross. He's our King. It's all amazing spiritual truth, but he is also our close personal friend. He is available. Jesus is available to anyone at any time. He exemplifies selfless humility, self-sacrificial love, and patience towards people who could never repay his affection. Right? Jesus exemplifies these things. Selfless humility, sacrificial love, patience towards other people. In the body of Christ, we've also been given others who reflect real, tangible ways the immeasurable friendship of Christ. For Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus were such friends who exhibited Christ like character. Right? Once we are in Christ, we can reflect Christ. Once we are in Christ, we can look like God. In the Sermon on the Mount, which I'm teaching currently in Sunday school, Jesus says a couple times, you are children of God. When you do these things, you are children of God. That's because when we are in Christ and we are pursuing living the way Jesus calls us to live, we, we reflect him. We look like him. And Jesus is our close personal friend. And because Jesus is in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be close personal friends with others. We can have that type, of, that type of nature. And for Paul, Timothy and Epaphroditus were two people like that. As we look at these verses, my theme is Epaphroditus, another example of self-sacrifice, an example of self-sacrifice. So let's look at this. First, let's put it in the context. In Philippians chapter 2, the first four verses, we are wrapping up chapter 2. We are wrapping up at chapter 2. But the first four verses of chapter 2, Paul wrote about unity in self-sacrificial behavior, unity in self-sacrificial behavior. In verses five through 11, Paul gave the example of Christ. Christ sacrificed himself for us. In verses 12 through 18, Paul wrote about Christian behavior. We We are to shine. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that God is working in us to will and to work according to his good pleasure. We are to forget, give up, give up grumbling and complaining. Then we can shine like light. And then in verses 19 through 24, Paul gave the example of Timothy, and that gives, brings us to, today, to right now, the example of Epaphroditus. Now remember, the ultimate example is Jesus. The ultimate example is Jesus. Jesus gave himself up for us. But there are other examples. And you could even think of others today who are self-sacrificial, close personal friends. That's what we're called to be as Christians. We're called to be humble, approachable, and teachable. We're called to to be self-sacrificing. We're called to be humble that people can come to us about things, and we don't fly off the handle. We take it. We're loving. So look at verse 25, Epaphroditus, a soldier. In your bulletins, there's a fill-in-the-blank where you can... Um, Have fun trying to fill in blanks in the sermon. And the first two blanks are right here in verse 25. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. You know, one thing I love about this verse, we see several ways the apostle Paul modifies Epaphroditus. We see several things he says, several attributes, attributes about Epaphroditus. Look at them. Brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, and messenger. Paul says that he thought it necessary to send Epaphroditus. It is as if he is thinking out loud. He thought it necessary. He is playing chess, not checkers. He's thinking, what's the best thing to do next to help and benefit the the church at Philippi? And certainly he's seeking the Lord and he's thinking the best thing to do is to send Epaphroditus. He's my... Knight, my rook, my bishop, whatever. He's, he's thinking ahead. And as I just mentioned, he calls him four different things. Brother. He calls him a brother as well as a fellow worker. Now, now a brother does not mean he is his literal biological brother. But he's using familial language to talk about him. And, and, and it is the case with all of us too. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. Your your biological family might reject you when you commit to Christ. That happens, especially in other places around the world. But we are family as Christians. We are one. We are united. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to live that way. He calls him a fellow soldier. That doesn't mean that Epaphroditus was putting on a uniform every day as a Roman centurion or anything like that. No, he was a soldier in the faith. He was a soldier in the faith. He lived the Christian faith like a soldier. He was committed and he was a fellow soldier. That means the apostle Paul is also a soldier in the faith. He is committed to Christ like a soldier. There's a little application for us there. Are we brothers and sisters in Christ? Can we think about... Um, some of our co-labors in the gospel, as uh, fellow labor, are, are are you a soldier for Christ? And and I don't mean in a militant way. No, there is way too much damage by Christians acting militantly, so aggressive, trying to beat people up with words every day, as opposed to being gentle and in demeanor. No, but are you committed to Christ like a soldier is committed to their battalion, their troops, their country? Are you committed to Christ as a soldier? He says he's a fellow minister. He ministers to Paul's needs. These modifiers describe Epaphroditus. Brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. He's a messenger and he's a minister. Paul's playing chess, as I mentioned, not checkers. He's thinking a few moves ahead. He's, He's thinking about sending Epaphroditus. But guess what? He knows. He knows how they will receive him. We see that in verse 29. We're going to see it in a few moments. He already knows. He's thinking ahead. He already knows how they will receive Epaphroditus. He's playing chess. It is possible, maybe probable, that Epaphroditus would be carrying the letter with him. He'd be carrying this letter of Philippians with him when he goes to visit them. Chuck Spindle shares in his book, Laugh Again. He says, Epaphroditus had been sent to Rome to minister to Paul. But shortly after arriving, the man became terribly ill. Ultimately, he recovered, but not before a long struggle where he lingered at death's door. I'm going to come back to this, but, you know, sometimes we think everybody was healed in the New Testament. If they were sick, they were healed. That's not the case. I was talking to somebody two nights ago, and they said, look, in the Scriptures, it seems like in the New Testament, everybody was healed. That is Totally, completely not the case. Epaphroditus lingered at death's door. He was not miraculously healed. News of his illness might have traveled back to Philippi, and the man was concerned that his friends back home would be worried about him. Furthermore, when he returned earlier than expected, some might think he returned as a quitter. So Paul was careful to write strong words in his defense. Paul is saying he wasn't a quitter, he was sick. In Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 18, Paul references him again. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The Philippian church sent gifts to Paul using Epaphroditus to send him. They didn't have PayPal yet. They couldn't send them that way. They didn't have Amazon with same-day delivery or what? No No cash app. Yeah, cash app. They didn't have that stuff. They had to actually send their gifts with a person they knew and trusted. Interestingly, the name Epaphroditus means charming or handsome. Charming or handsome. And it was a common name in the Greco-Roman world. Epaphroditus is mentioned twice in the New Testament, both times in the letter to Philippians. Epaphroditus seems to have functioned as a leader in the church in Philippi. He seemed to have functioned as a leader in the church at Philippi. And Paul calls him a messenger. It's really the Greek word apostolos, one who is sent. But it's a more generic use of the word apostle rather than the apostles, as in Paul and Peter and others. When Epaphroditus first arrived, he brought a gift of money from the Philippians. This tells us the people back home trusted him completely. Can we be trusted? Can we be trusted in these ways? Just finished Matthew chapter five in Sunday school. What's Jesus say about oaths? He says, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Can we have integrity? Can we be trusted? They trusted him, When he gave the gift to Paul, he brought enormous encouragement to the apostle. But shortly thereafter, Epaphroditus fell ill. So the apostle writes with deep affection, referring to him as a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, a messenger, minister to my need. One person writes, I like to call those admirable qualities. Bishop Lightfoot was a guy in the 1800s who wrote, and he says, Epaphroditus was one in common sympathy, common work, and common danger and toil and suffering, common sympathy, common work, and common danger and toil and suffering. He was that type of close personal friend with the Apostle Paul. We'll risk our lives together. That's how common our bond is. The great Roman statesman Cicero said, he indeed who looks into the face of a friend beholds, as it were, a copy of himself. You know, back then it was risky to visit a prisoner. The visitor would be prejudged for visiting the prison. The visitor would be prejudged for visiting the prisoner. It was risky, but Epaphroditus was willing to take that risk to visit Paul. In the early church, there were societies of men and women who called themselves the Parabalini. That is, the riskers or gamblers. They were riskers or gamblers. They ministered to the sick and in prison, and they saw to it that, if at all possible, martyrs and sometimes even enemies would receive an honorable burial. The Christians were different. They made sure, we will risk, we will gamble, and make sure martyrs and even enemies received an honorable burial. Thus, in the city of Carthage during the great pestilence of A.D. 252, Cyprian, the bishop, showed remarkable courage in sacrificing fidelity to his flock in love for his enemies. He took upon himself, get this, he took upon himself the care of the sick and he bade his congregation to nurse them and bury the dead. What a contrast with the practice of the heathen who were throwing the corpses out of the plague-stricken city. And we're running away in terror. So when this great pestilence, this great plague's going on, the secular people, the heathens, the non-Christians, they're running away in fear. But the Christians were running to the plague. And they're helping, and they're caring, and they're caring for them, and they're bearing them, and they're risking themselves. That's Epaphroditus' attitude. In verses 26 through 30, we see Epaphroditus' sickness. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. About verse 28, one writes, Paul's anxiety reflected his love for them. C.S. Lewis said this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. You ever think about that? To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, love anyone, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken through sickness, through illness, through death, through trials, maybe through hurtful words. That's to love. Paul says that he has been longing for them. Epaphroditus has been longing for them. We learned that he was ill. We learned that he is distressed because he heard that they knew he was ill. They knew he was sick, and that caused him, 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 him distress. Now, one thing that's possible here is that it's likely that when Epaphroditus went to visit Paul, he went from Philippi to visit Paul, and he brought gifts. And so they sent two or maybe three or maybe a group with him. And they all traveled together. And during that trip, Epaphroditus got sick and he got very, very, very sick. But he made it to the Apostle Paul. But those that he traveled with went back to the church at Philippi and told them that Epaphroditus made it to Paul, but he's very, very sick. And that's likely how they knew Epaphroditus was sick. In verse 27, it gives more detail about his illness. His sickness was near death. But look what it says. God spared him. God did not heal him dramatically, but God spared him. This man risked it all for the sake of his call to the service of Christ. He risked it all for the sake of his call to the service of Christ. Chuck Spindle asks, are you willing to join the ranks of Epaphroditus? Truth is, every time you minister to someone in need, you risk something. Every time, every time, you risk being taken advantage of. You risk being misunderstood. You risk being ostracized. In fact, there is no ministry without some kind of risk, great or small. Spindall continues, it seems to me that we've become a complacent people, seeking comfort and control over our lives rather than taking even minimal risks for the gospel. Are you willing to start risking for Christ? Have you felt the spirit, the Holy Spirit, nudging you toward certain ministry decisions that might rock your world? Let me tell you, the risk is worth it. How do you respond to an Epaphroditus in your life? You hold that person in high regard. That's what Paul says to do. You don't scold him. You don't despise her. You don't say, why are you wasting your time and risking everything for this? Think about your future. But that is what many people will do. They'll say, why are you putting yourself in danger? Why are you risking? You don't have to give that much. God doesn't want you to go all out. I have news for you, he, he does. Go look at Luke nine twenty three later. Look at Philippians four, starting at verse 10. He does. He wants you to go all out. But people will say that. No, don't do that. Don't waste your life. You know what? It's not your life, it's God's life. And you're wasting your life if you don't, if you don't put God first, if you don't sacrifice for his kingdom. Swindall considers, continues. You don't say, why are you wasting your time and risking everything for this? Think about your future. Instead, you lend your prayers. You lend your support. You lend your encouragement. Of course, when you do that, you step into the order of Epaphroditus yourself because inevitably somebody will say to you, you're a fool to waste your time on somebody as reckless as that. That's what people will do. I'm not gonna support that missionary taking his family to Tyran. I'm not gonna support that missionary risking it all like that. That's a persecuted area. Do you realize that when we are spared, we are spared because of God? When we are spared, we are spared because of God. Paul says, God spared him. God spared him. We think that when we hold our life with a closed fist and we are exalting our own safety, we're we're, we're protecting our kids by, by not stepping outside of our comfort zone to serve Christ. We're not protecting them if we Withhold them from ministry. If we're holding them too close to us but not putting them under the lordship of Christ. We're not protecting ourselves either. But our lives are in the Lord's hands. And whether we live or die every single day is in the Lord's hands. It's not in your hand. It's not in my hand. It's in the Lord's hands. Paul would have been sorrowful if God had called Epaphroditus home, this speaks to Paul's love for his co-worker ministry. Notice also that God did not heal Epaphroditus. I've alluded to this. He did not heal Epaphroditus dramatically. It seems that this verse speaks to God giving the body the ability to gradually fight off the illness. Look at 2 Timothy four verse 20. He says, "Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus." Sometimes, I would argue many times God does not heal dramatically. They're miracles because they're unexpected. Sometimes God does do that miracle, but sometimes God heals very slowly. Sometimes he doesn't heal at all the way we want to, and we must submit, surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Sometimes we act like everyone must be divinely healed or their faith is weak. The apostle Paul had healed the sick and raised the dead. We see that in scripture. We see that in Acts 14.8. We see it in Acts 14.20. We see it in Acts chapter 20. But sometimes people were not healed or not healed dramatically. In 2 Corinthians chapter Paul uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul himself was not healed. Paul himself was not healed. He asked the Lord three times, "Heal me, heal me, heal me." And the Lord said, "My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in your weakness." We must pray for God's will and trust him. In verse 28, Paul is more eager to send him. This is because they will rejoice at seeing him again. This is a great example of close companionship. And it also seems that Epaphroditus was one of their leaders. In verse 28, they are exhorted to receive him. And he says, receive him in the Lord. Receive him in the Lord. It is the Lord who binds us together. It is the Lord who binds us together, and they are to receive him in the Lord. Do we receive each other in the Lord? And they are to receive him with joy. Do we receive each other with joy as Christians? Paul says to honor men like him. Why? It's because of his service for the gospel. In verse 30, Paul gives more reasons to honor him. And this clues us into his sacrifice. He almost died for the gospel. He risked his life to complete what was lacking in their service to him. Epaphroditus had faced peril on behalf of the Philippians. The Philippians desired to send gifts to support Paul, but had not been able to do so. Until Epaphroditus made it possible. Epaphroditus risked peril by making it possible to send those gifts to the Apostle Paul. Swindoll writes This reminds me of the six year old girl who became deathly ill with a dreaded disease. To survive, she needed a blood transfusion from someone who had previously conquered the same illness. The situation was complicated by her rare blood type. She had a rare blood type. Her nine-year-old brother qualified as a donor. She's six years old, he's nine years old. But everyone was hesitant to, to ask him because he was only nine years old. Finally, they agreed to have the doctor pose the question. The attending physician tactfully asked the boy if he was willing to be brave and donate blood for his sister. Though he didn't understand much about such things, the boy agreed without hesitation. The boy said, Sure, I'll give my blood for my six year old sister. He lay down beside his sister and smiled, smiled at her as they pricked his arm with the needle. Then he closed his eyes and lay silently on the bed as a pint of blood was taken. Soon thereafter, the physician came in to thank the little fella, the boy with quivering lips and tears running down his cheeks, asked, Doctor, when do I die? At that moment, the doctor realized that the naive little boy thought that by giving his blood, he was giving his life. By giving his blood, he thought he was giving his life. That's sacrifice, right? Quickly, the doctor reassured the young boy that he was, not giving, he was not going to die, but amazed at his courage. The doctor was amazed at his courage. The doctor asked, why were you willing to risk your life for her? Because she is my sister, and I love her, was the boy's simple but significant reply. She is my sister and I love her. So it was between Epaphroditus and his brother in Rome, Paul. He was risking his life for the sake of his brother. And ultimately, Jesus gave his blood on the cross for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Jesus. I thank you for sending the Son to bring about our salvation. I thank you for sending Jesus the Savior of the world, to accomplish and carry out our salvation. Lord God, we thank you for examples like Timothy and Epaphroditus, who are examples of self-sacrifice. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to sacrifice for one another, to remember that we are one in the Holy Spirit, that we are one in the bond of love, as that hymn says, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord God, as we leave this place, may we be reminded that we are leaving the mission field when we exit that door. We are leaving the, leaving the mission field. We are missionaries every single place we go. We cannot live the Christian life except by you. May we walk with you. May we walk with you as our Lord and Savior. I pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.